Now, Lord God in heaven, may the words of my mouth, the meditation of our hearts, be always acceptable in your sight, for you are our strength and our redeemer. Amen. You know, I truly believe that the devil uses technology. For some reason, Def Leppard just began to play on my iPad. I didn't touch a thing, I swear. <laughs> I want you to think deeply and consider this this morning. From C.S. Lewis's book, Mere Christianity. He says, every faculty you have, your power of thinking or moving your limbs from one moment to the next, is given to you by God. If you devoted every moment of your whole life exclusively to God's service, you could not give him anything that was not, in a sense, already his own. It is like a small child going to his father and saying, Daddy, give me six pence that I may buy you a birthday present. It is all very nice and proper, Lewis says, but only an idiot would think that the father is six pence to the good on the transaction. Think about how profound that is. Think about that. Lewis is making a profound statement about stewardship, right? That's a strange old word. Some of us don't use it outside the church. So if you're looking for a definition, here it is. It is the job of supervising or taking care of something, especially when that something is not yours. A steward is a manager. Think of a financial money manager. You entrust your funds to that person. If that person invests your funds wisely and judiciously, that money manager can get a great return on your money. But consider this. What if that money manager begins to think of your money as his money? And what about if he mismanages your money because he treats it as though it's his? They've got a word for that. It's called fraud. C.S. Lewis is trying to make sure we don't come to think that the blessings in our lives come from us. This is my money, God. My limbs, my education, my diploma on that wall, my power, I earned it. I worked hard for it. I'll do with my money as I choose. C.S. Lewis would call that fraud. God has this really crazy notion, my friends. And that is, he is silly enough to think that he created everything that there is around us, all the wonderful blessings we have, and then he's rendered unto us a portion of those blessings to manage, to take care of. And we're supposed to render a portion back to him because we love him, because we love him. David knew this. In Chronicles chapter 29, verse 12, you'll be, uh, David was trying to raise money to build the temple. And he says this, Lord, wealth and honor come from you. You are the ruler of all things, and in your hand are strength and power. Then the next verse, you'll know it well, because Anglicans say it every week. All things come of you, O Lord, and of your own have we given you. Like a child who asks his father for sixpence that he may bless him with a gift. That's what stewardship is all about. Now imagine that same boy asking his daddy for sixpence and then going and spending it only on himself. That would be fraud. It would be robbing, right? And that's what we see happening in our Old Testament lesson today. Would you turn in your Bibles to the only Italian prophet that we have in Scripture, Malachi, last book of the Old Testament. Of course, he's Hebrew and he's Malachi. Last book. We're going to focus on the third chapter that Fred just read. And in the verse 8, God levels an indictment against the people. 
He said, will a man rob his God, yet you are robbing me? That's pretty heavy stuff, right? You're robbing me, God says. Now, if you look at the entire book, and we'll just pop uh, in and out just to get the entire sense, they are robbing God in three different ways. One is their worship. It's not authentic. Secondly, they rob God with their hearts. And thirdly, they're robbing God with their income, their wealth, their money. They were bad stewards of worship, first of all. Look at chapter 1. You'll see in verse 13 that the people cry out, how wearisome it is to worship our God. They were wearied by worship. Worship had turned from a relational thing with a personal God to a ritualistic thing without any vigor or without any emotions or power. They were just going through the motions. And as a result, their offerings reflected that. In chapter 1, verses 6 to 14, they began to offer God blemished offerings on his altar. You know what that means? They're giving God the trash in their lives. They were giving God the leftovers that they didn't want. Old blind goats and malignant sheep that no one wanted to eat. Whatever they had left over, they gave to God. And the priests don't get off scot-free. Chapter 2, verse 1 to 9, they had become complacent in their hearts as well. And in verse 3, God says to the priests, I will rebuke your offspring and smear poop on your priests. I don't like that too much. <laughs> they were robbing God in their worship. Secondly, bad stewards of their hearts. In chapter 2, verses 10 to 17, we know that marriage had become uh, not a sacred vow anymore, that older men were trading in their wives of their youth for an upgraded model, breaking their marriage covenant. Businessmen in chapter 3 were defrauding their workers. They were taking advantage of widows and orphans and aliens. All of this is to say that their hearts were far from God. They were bad stewards of their hearts. So what do we have? They're giving their leftovers to God. Uh, the priests are only in it for a paycheck. Don't like my wife. We'll upgrade for a better model. Rip off your co-workers. Mistreat the poor and needy. As Isaiah once said, the people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. But God wants their hearts to return. They are living right now as if all things come of me, O Lord, and of my own I will keep for myself. Good stewardship breaks that internal grip that possessions can have. You know that sometimes our possessions can possess us. Isn't that what Jesus says in Matthew 6, 24? He said, no man can have two masters at the same time. Either he's going to love one and be devoted to the, or hate the other, or be devoted to one and despise the other. And then he says, you cannot serve God and money. Which is more important? Malachi is saying that their money was more important than God. So look at verse 7 and 8 of Malachi chapter 3. God says, from the days of your fathers you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. So return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? God says, will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions, the Bible says. See, the remedy for an apathetic heart towards God is to be generous towards the thing of God, things of God and the people of God. Jesus said it better than I could. Luke 12, 24. He says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. 
The remedy for apathy is generosity. And the more we invest in something and become all in for that thing, the more we'll love that thing, whatever it is. God is saying in Malachi, invest in my kingdom. Be generous about the things that I love. Invest your time, talent, and treasure, and there your heart will be changed. As a priest, I I love it when uh, parishioners finally have that light bulb of faith pop on for them. And they realize the, the profound nature of the Christian journey. I had one of these in Conway. She was on the periphery of the church. She attended sporadically, never gave a dime to help support the ministries and mission of the church. And then that light bulb popped on. And I can remember her coming up to me after church one day and saying, you know, I used to miss church and I'd feel guilty about it. You know what that says? It's a legalistic thing for her. But now when I miss church, she says, I feel disappointed. It hurts my heart to miss church. You see the heart change that happened in her? So friends, one question we should ask ourselves this morning is how am I robbing God in my life? Is it in your worship? Has it grown stale? Is it in my heart? Has it grown cold? Is it in your tithes and offerings? Now Jesus uses that word tithe only once, and the word means 10%. If you're given 2%, you ain't tithing, okay? Um, but he doesn't mention it only once. Uh, here's the reason. He mentions it only once. Because once we get a legalistic number, like 10%, we will look for all kinds of ways to massage that number. Do I do it before taxes or after taxes? Do I count my stocks and my bonds and my 401k? Jesus cares about the heart that is generous, not the number. So for Jesus, the floor is 10%, not the ceiling. For Jesus, the baseline is 10%, not the finish line. Now, some people who are overly called to be generous, uh, Jesus had one of those, a rich young ruler, who came to him one day and said, what must I do to be your disciple? Jesus says, go and sell all that you have. Give it to the poor. Come back and then we'll talk about discipleship. For that guy, 10% wasn't what God required. Jesus wanted to change his heart to generosity. So how are we robbing God? Are you bringing your leftovers to the house of God? Whatever's left over at the end of the month, that's God's portion. Once I get all my bills paid and all the vacations taken and all the stuff I want to buy, then the rest will be yours, dear Lord. There's a term in the Bible called first fruits giving. Proverbs 3.9 says this, Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your produce. Why do we do that? Because it shows our ultimate trust in God's goodness that he will provide in difficult times. Think of this. When you tithe first before all your bills are paid, you learn to live on what remains and you trust God for the rest. Now, if you were a farmer, and most people were in that age, you would have a bumper crop maybe, and God says, I want my portion on the front end. Now, you didn't know if there might be a drought or a famine or a plague or some other hardship that you couldn't provide for your family, but you trusted God for it, that he would provide for your needs. And isn't that what it says in verse 10b today? God promises us that when we get serious about our tithes and offerings, the Lord of hosts will open up the windows of heaven for us and pour down on us a blessing until what? Until there's no more need. God will provide for your needs. Number two, how are we robbing God? Sometimes we come to God without a free will offering. Free will offering. A true offering in Deuteronomy 23, 23 is whenever your lips 
Utter what you must do before the Lord because you have vowed freely to give of your own. Freely, that word. When your gifts are tied to a service or a product that the church can provide for you, then that ain't free, is it? That's not an act of worship. That's consumerism. That's what it's called. Sometimes we treat God and the church like Walmart. You know, if Walmart doesn't have the product that I want, then I go to Costco. Costco doesn't have it, then I'll, I'll go to Target. And, and so if we get disgruntled about something the church is not providing me, then I'll go do what? Church shop. That's what we call it. That's consumerism, friends. If our offering is conditional, an if-then statement, then it's probably not free will. It's probably not God-honoring. If the church doesn't play the kind of music I want, then I won't give my tithe. If the church doesn't fix her dilapidated buildings, I ain't giving another cent to it. If the church doesn't provide a fun youth group that my kid enjoys, then I'm not pledging. That's not a free will offering. That's consumerism. Because we don't give to the church with all of her warts and all of her flaws. When we give, we're giving to God, to God himself. And we pray that the vestry will make wise investments with our funding, but we give because we love and want to honor the Lord. Honor me, worship me with your tithes and offerings. 2 Corinthians 9, 7 puts it best. Paul says, each one of us must give what we've decided in our heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So two bits of good news as we end the sermon. One is if you're not tithing, God still loves you. He'll always love you no matter how much or how little you give. Look at verse 6. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. That's God's way of saying, I'm gracious. I love you in spite of verse 7. From the days of your fathers, you've turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them, but I love you. And then he says, return to me. Return, repent, come back with true and laudable worship. Bring your heart back in alignment with my heart. Honor me with your tithes and offerings. God is a God of first chances, fifth chances, and tenth chances. He loves you. Second bit of good news, look at verse 10. Bring the whole tithe into my storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And therefore put me to the test, says the Lord. Test me? Every other place in Scripture, God keeps saying, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Only with your financial contributions to his kingdom does he say, test me. Test me. And see if I won't shower blessings and provide for your needs. Jesus, in the gospel today, says, render to Caesar what is Caesar's. Render to God what is God. Test me in this. If you're not tithing, you're robbing. But God loves you anyway. God wants you to strive to tithe. So I would just compel you to sit down with your family. If you're at 2%, pray about going to 6%, 8%, then 10%. And let me tell you, God says, test me. And if after six months God doesn't provide for all your needs, stop it. Stop it because he wasn't faithful to the bargain. He wasn't faithful to his side. He didn't provide for your needs. God failed you. But I've been testing people like this forever. And you know what? I've never had a person come back after six months and say to me, I tried it, didn't work, I'm going back to 2%. Just remember, God loves you the same, whether you give 2 or 10 or more. God doesn't need your money, but you have a spiritual need to give. God doesn't need your money, church doesn't need your money, but you have a need to give to honor God. 
like a son or a daughter who simply wants to make their father happy on his birthday, we give a thanksgiving offering, a free will offering, and we do it from the first fruits of our labor. If you do that, my friends, that has the power to change your life to the glory of God, who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.